Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. So today, we are so fortunate to have the parent of one of our guests. So you hopefully listened to last week, Violet. And if you haven't listened to Violet, you should go and listen to Violet and then listen to Seth. So Violet is a 16 year old transgender girl, also a tremendous makeup artist, like so amazingly skilled and a bit of an activist. Violet shares with us her thoughts on what adults can do to support young people in the midst of any number of transitions that they're going through. And today it was so great to talk to Violet's dad to hear what it was like to be a parent of a child going through those transitions. Yeah. And uh, Seth is, he's such a fun guy. He's so, you know, like well-spoken and um, funny and interesting but also the way he speaks about parenting Violet and, if, and helping support her and be part of her rock, really, when, when she's going through, you know, transitioning and um, was, was so lovely to hear. And I know when we talked to Violet, we, we kind of saw this as like an aspirational parent child relationship and we're like God, just everyone should have parents like this and then you listen to Seth and it just comes so naturally out of him that he he loves her obviously but also simply lets her lead her own growth mm -hmm. yeah so hard for parents to do in general because we want to protect our kids from anything that might hurt them or you know or, or just be challenging from them. We, you know, that's, I think the, the core of helicopter parenting is we just want our kids' life to be as painless and as, you know, relatively easy as possible. Um, but we do them no favors by trying to solve their problems for them or, you know, somehow clear the way and come up with solutions when really what your kid needs is to do the work themselves and to, to drive their own growth, like you said. Um, so it was really great to talk to him, to hear the advice that he has for parents and other adults who are allies of young people who are going through a set of transitions around either their sexuality or around their gender or something else that could be equally challenging. I think one other thing that's really fascinating is you will hear in this episode uh, Seth talk about, you know, how they have dealt with an uh, artist who has some troubling views and the art itself, which is, I think, an issue of our time. Absolutely. And I think um, something that we would be remiss to not 
highlight is uh, Seth's activism. You know, I think one of the things during this season that we've discussed is, uh, and a little bit of last season, is how many ways there are to be an activist. And um, that I don't want to give it away, but I think it should be headline news is what Seth did um, to be an activist for not just his daughter, but for literally generations of trans children and or adults to, to come. So um, yeah. listen, listen, listen. Um, you know, this is Seth, Violet's dad. He is speaking. All right. Should I go for it right now? All right. Hi, my name is Seth Turner. I'm Violet's dad, and I am speaking. Hi, welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Very excited to have you on. I've never done a podcast before, so new. You have it? Nope, nope. You should because as we as we dive in, you have done a lot of podcast worthy things very recently. So we're gonna we'll talk about that, but. Um, as our listeners know, because uh, Violet's episode will have aired just before yours, uh, we talked to Violet last week, and she, first of all, we have not stopped talking about her. I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, well, correct. But Shayla, she and I were, first of all, blown away by her and her resilience and just her self-possession at the age of 16. I, I, you know, we were like, you're living your truth and you're, you know, you're, and I was like, I'm 41 and I don't think I'm living my truth. Like to that level, right? I'm very happy with my life. I, I love what I have, I have created here and it, you know, with my husband and stuff, but I'm like, I don't, I don't live in that kind of like just pure honesty every single day that this 16 year old has figured out. And one of the things that I reflected on in talking to Violet is what a different world we would live in if everyone really lived their truth the way Violet does. I know that'd be pretty wonderful. Right that everyone nobody would feel the need to inf inflict trauma on other people to make themselves feel better because they themselves are living in a way that's in aligned with who they are and what their values are um, and we could all be a lot kinder to each other. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard in our society to live that truth, isn't it? Because, you know, it's not set up that way. And so you got to really take the bull by the horns. And I think the younger generation is really good at that. You know, they're, they're much better at it than my generation. That's for sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, the other thing that Kosha and I were talking about is how hard is it to be a person in their teens to have any courage of conviction? Because being in your teens is all about trying to fit in, all about trying to find yourself and try different things on, but always being really like so self-focused about what do people think about me and can I do this and this is okay. Um, and the fact that I was like, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to try stuff on. And if I don't like it, I'm going to get rid of it. And if I like it, I'm going to keep it um, was so amazing. And her ability to say, well, I don't know. I'm still figuring that part out. You know, we talked about how she came out to you twice, mm -hmm. right? She said, well, at first I was like, well, maybe I'm 
gay. Like I'm a boy, but I'm gay. So I, she had to come out to you as a gay person. Yeah. And then later she's like, oh no, no, it wasn't that. It was that I'm trans, right? So she came out to you twice. And then we just said, well, what about, has that shifted like your sexual orientation? And she goes, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I haven't really come to that. Like, I'm, um, you know, I have to say it was so hard, Seth. And this is, you'll hear this in the episode. It was so hard. There were several times I would ask her a question and then I'm like, however, you're 16. So you don't have to answer the problems of the world. Right. I would ask her like, well, what would you, what advice would you give for such and such? And I was like, wait a minute, you're still trying to figure out like where you want to go to college or if you want to go to, you know, like you're 16. I had to remind myself just because she came with such like this depth of spirit and uh, you know, I say I'm an atheist, but if I wasn't, I would say like, wow, you are an old soul, you know? So let's start there. We've had a conversation with Violet and we asked Violet to talk about her journey, but it would, I would be really fascinated. I mean, I think it'd be really great to hear what it's like on the parent side. So what has your journey been like through the many transitions that she has gone through and your family is going through? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a, hell of a ride. I mean, you know, this, it's not just the, um, the gender and the sexuality issues. It's as a parent, you know, it's everything that your kids face. And I'm just going to be honest, you guys probably found this out, but Vice had to face more than her fair share of adversity. I don't know what all came out in, in the episode, um, when you guys chatted, but, um, you know, she, she has a stutter that comes out and she is dyslexic and she's diabetic. And, and so, you know, all these things happen when we figured out when she was very young and we started working on those things. And when you're, when, okay, I should say when I was first a parent, and I think this is true for most people, you build this idea in your head of the entire next 50 years for your kid, right? You've got it all in this this idealized picture in your head. And, um, and then it's just a series of ways of going through life that blow that up, right? I feel like we're very fortunate to have blown that up very early because um, when you get rid of that idea that it's going to go a certain way, it makes it so much easier to handle when it doesn't go any particular way at all and things just come up. So by the time she came out to us as gay, I mean, obviously we had a, a pretty good inkling at that point and we had exposed her to all kinds of different events that embraced uh, the LGBTQ plus community. And uh, we just wanted her to know that if and when the time comes that you want to talk about this, um, we you have 100% support. So don't be scared to come out if you ever feel like you need to. And so we made it into a big celebration and we call it Gay Day and we still celebrate it in July. Um, I think it's the 27th of July. We celebrate as Gay Day here. So. Well, and also like what was really what was really lovely is when she was telling us about coming out to you, she's like, they were really emotional. And, you know, of course, like, oh, yeah, that's an emotional thing to, you know, get your head around. And, she's, and she goes, they were just so happy that I felt comfortable coming to them. And like, that's where the emotionality came from. So as a parent, I see that, like I have a, you know, almost seven-year-old and it, it comes in different ways, obviously, you know, in terms of scale and, and, and subject matter. But I feel the same way. What, one of the things that we talk about a lot in my family is like, we, we're honest with each other because I'll be clear, like I lied to my parents a lot. 
I told them I knew what they wanted to hear. And I knew that if they didn't hear those things, I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted. Or I know that about myself. And I'm like, I put myself in like risky situations without anyone knowing where I was, that kind of thing. You know, we are very like in this house, we are honest with each other. We tell the truth. So there have been a couple of times where she'll like kind of sheepishly come up to me or her dad and say like, uh, I did something wrong. She'll admit that she did something wrong. And I will like literally like give her a huge hug, tell her thank you. And I'll be like, I am so proud of you. We will figure that out, but I'm so proud of you for telling me the truth. And that's where my emotions come in is like, okay, something I'm saying is getting through to you. Um, so that was really lovely to hear that like the emotionality from you came from, you told us you feel comfortable telling us and it had almost nothing to do with the subject matter. It made us feel so, it made us feel amazing because you know, um, all kids lie. They all are going to lie. Um, and, and, you know, it's one thing to lie about where you are some night with your friends and whether or not you had a drink or a cigarette or something like that. It's another thing to keep a lie that's, uh, that's in, um, that's going right against what your daily truth is. And so, you know, for us, when she was willing to, to share that with us, it just felt like such a huge, um, uh, validation of of the relationship that we have and you know it hasn't always been easy and it won't always be easy teenager years are are definitely interesting especially in covid times but um but yeah it's uh it was wonderful that she told us and then when she came out to us again um you know nine months later or whatever it was and told us that she was trans you know that was that was more of a shock because we had gotten, once again, we built in our heads like this picture, like, oh, this is great. You told us this, this is your truth. Now we have this false picture in our head, what your life is going to look like. And so um, as she talked to us about that, we had to, to do a little more soul searching and um, talk to our therapists and, and get their help and their guidance and um, reach out for resources. And, you know, my personality is if there's a problem, we identify it, we work on it immediately. Yeah, but it's that same thing. As soon as we figured out that she had dyslexia, it was like, okay, there are these programs. Which program are we going to choose? We're going to choose this program. I'm going to do it with her at home. We're going to do it five nights a week. All That's just one example. Um, but when there comes a, a thing that comes along like that, my whole, I can't sit on something and wait to see what happens. I'm always wanting to try and dive in. Well, so our youngest we have two children uh my older child is non-binary came out to us as non-binary about a year or so uh -huh. pandemic time is all weird i'm like i don't know oh yeah more than a week ago but less than two years right and then our son was born about almost four years later he just wanted to snuggle and be held and but we sent him to preschool and when he was at preschool his teachers were like he's not engaging with other kids as much as you would expect an almost three-year-old to do. You know, got the information from the teacher and I immediately went home and took the MCHAT, which is the autism assessment tool for parents. And a lot of things started to click into place once the teachers brought up to us that they were noticing this was a challenge. You know, everything started to kind of fall into place. And once we got our, I was like, let's get, the, let's go, let's figure it out, right? Um, we got our assessment through Kaiser, which was one of, you know, they had just started treating mental health like they did physical health because um, we were in the Bay Area at the time. As soon as we got the assessment report, I was like, that's it. Now we know what to do, right? That was uh, September or October of uh, 
whatever year that was, some year. Um, but when I saw the, my extended family, several people said, wow, that's, this is the weirdest thing. That's so brave of you. That's weird. The second thing was like, uh, I would have just waited to see what would have happened. The fact that some of my family members were like, eh, I just would have waited to see what would have happened. I was like, that's not how you fix anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I run into that on the teacher side of things a lot. And you are, you're an elementary school teacher. It's like a combined uh, K-1, is that what exactly. you Exactly. So at that time, um, we're figuring out a lot of things about these kids, right? Uh, because by the time first grade is over in America, we expect kids to be reading by the time they're out of first grade, which is crazy when you look at what the rest of the world does. But in, uh, in, in our school, we're a high academic achieving school where um, the parents that we get have often maybe not even sent their kids to a, a, a daycare or a, um, a preschool program. Uh, and so we're often the first line of people sharing news. And um, I always love it when parents will receive news the way that you just described, because um, I'm not going to hold on to it. If I notice something, I'm going to share it. I'm not going to make it easy on myself and hold it in. And uh, it'd be so much easier for me to not have to have these conversations. Yeah. But I do it because that's that's what I feel like my job is, is to help parents figure out the best path for their kids. But, you know, a lot of times I get similar responses to what you're talking about um, with your family. Yeah, it's hard. It is just like you were describing before, Seth. It's really hard when you have an image of what your family life is going to be like. And then unfortunately life doesn't sign up for our plans, right? It's like, well, you're going to get whatever kid you have. They're going to have whatever issues they have. And if you insist that your plan is what's going to happen, you know, you're setting your, you are setting yourself, but I'm not doing him any favors. Right. To deny the reality of what people are observing about my kid. Right. They, you know, those preschool teachers care about him. They cared about him. They're not, no one's doing him any favors by pretending like it doesn't exist. Well, and he's the same kid and Vi was the same kid the day before and the day of and the day after she was diagnosed or he, it, uh, your kid was diagnosed. And it's like, yeah. what has changed? It's the name of it. And when you name it, you get resources for it. That's how I'm like, he's still going to have, you know, he's still going to be on the spectrum. She's still going to have dyslexia, whether or not you keep it quiet. It's, but like the minute you get to say like my kids on the spectrum or she has dyslexia, it's like, now we get resources. We have, we can type it into Google. We get talk to doctors and, and specialists about it. I'm like, I, I welcome that kind of thing. If something, you know, even the diabetes, like I see a lot of people, I'm in, I'm in the, you know, medical industry and I work in um, neuroscience. So it's like, this person is clearly depressed or this person is clearly bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever it is. So I, so to go back a little bit, um, when you, she came out to you as gay and you said like, it wasn't that much of a shock, right? So no, it wasn't a shock at all. <laughs> she, <t> she did talk a little bit about that where she's like, you know, she would dress stereotypical, st stereotypically girly. Clearly, you know, pink is not a color that like, has to be for a girl but societally that's kind of what we've put and so 
you know, she talked about even like back in, you know, preschool and stuff when she would dress up, she would always do it like with girly clothes or with tutus and things. So you had kind of prepped yourself. You say the second time when she came out as trans, was there a sense of, of like sadness at all or be like, what, what did you, your wife go through? Yes. Cause she, obviously she felt so supported and things like that, but can you talk a little bit about like what happened behind closed doors? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's really important that, that parents of kids who come out and, and are telling you that their gender is not what you think it is. It's okay to say, oh my gosh. And to have this moment where you're not a moment to have these feelings of, um, of fear and loss. And, um, and I don't know, just, we had all those feelings. We, we had feelings of, of happiness along with them because of, again, you know, this was a, a nice um, reflection on our relationship as a family, but, uh, but it was scary. Um, partly because being gay is much more accepted than being trans. And, and that scares me. You know, yeah, and I don't mean to to say that um, the gay community has it easy. Even within marginalized communities, some communities are less marginalized than others, or more. Some people are at the fringes of even those marginalized communities. So LGBTQA plus plus plus, the L and the G are far more mainstream just generally have always been far more mainstream, even in the early days of the movement have been far more mainstream than bisexual people, transgender people, and people who are intersex and like the whole, everything that comes after it, they're at, you know, it's weird to say, but they're at the end for a reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at what's happening around the United States right now and the legislation that's being passed in some of these uh, some of these states, mostly in the South, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they're not anti-gay bills. And and by the way, can we stop using the term transphobic and homophobic? I just want to throw that out there. You're not scared of gay people and you're not scared of trans people. You're anti them. So I'm not going to use that that term homophobic or transphobic. And I, I would like for us to- I think Morgan, no, that, I think that's an important thing. And Morgan Freeman has a quote that he's like, you're not scared of them. You're just an asshole. Like you are- yeah, it's like something like that. I was like, you're not, yeah, exactly. you're using, you're hiding behind the word phobic. Someone who is transphobic actually thinks that person is not a human person. Right. That's a totally different thing. And I, I feel like we need to draw attention to that. But yeah, you look at what's going on and, and you see the trans community being targeted and you also see the trans community being uplifted. And, you know, you look at people online, um, influencers online, you look at, uh, TV shows, like imagine the show Pose. It's one of our favorite shows. And that that show would have never happened. I mean, just a short number of years ago, right? Um, where the whole thing is about the gay community and, and it centers mostly on trans women. And I, I think that that's a story that needs to be told. And those sorts of things aren't little. The show Glee, uh, another Ryan Murphy show, that's not a little thing, what that show did. You know, it, it put it out there, it made a, it, it, it made a statement like these people are people, right? Um, and so, you know, I know that we're going to move towards that just like we've moved towards it with the other uh, letters, but, um, but right now it's scary. It's, it's still very scary. And, um, and the yeah. whole athletics thing being used as a way to drive up anti-trans stuff, it's, just, it's really 
people are not thinking about what's important. Um, and that makes me pretty frustrated. There are, there are two things I want to share with you that's kind of related mm -hmm. to this. Um, and probably the second one is not gonna, I'm not gonna remember it. Um, but the first one is that I read an article in the Times about it's Pride Month and people are like, love is love. But let's be clear, it's not homosexual love that is causing, it is driving all of this anti-LGBTQA, you know, rhetoric and legislation. It's sex. It is genitals. It's about, it's not about love. It's not about if a man loves a man. Oh, I love you. That's not it. It's about what happens behind closed doors and underneath people's clothes. That's what we all, that's what all this anti, uh, anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans, anti-whatever is a, you know, in that entire circle of things, that's what it's about. It's, it's about sex and parts more than it is about like romantic feelings. Well, that's why I've, you know, I've heard, I've heard a couple of trans um, activists talk about like, that's one of the first questions that people want to ask is like, well, did you chop it off? you know, or did, like, do you still have a penis? Like, it's all about that. It, everyone's mind goes there. And even Vi, and we talked with Vi about it. It's like, there are so many, you know, the when, when a child comes to you and says like, you know, uh, mom, I think I'm trans. It's not, they're not going to say like, I want gender realignment surgery. There are so many steps before, yeah. you know, like, get even like getting hormones or going to the doctor it's like how about wearing a binder how about pronouns yeah, how about yeah. how you dress like how about just how we talk to each other um that is you know and that's you know I know Viola got into makeup for example and um Shayla, she's oldest um you know has like they them pronouns and and dresses a little more androgynous like there's so many ways of expressing how you feel on the inside on the outside that like but everyone's brain just goes to like straight there yeah straight there straight there i to point out one other question uh, along those same lines that i'd like for people to stop asking is how does she know you know how does she know she's gay how does she know she's trans don't ask that question to people i know how do you know that you're not gay how do you know that you're attracted to people yep, you're attracted exactly. to how do you know that your gender is your gender we never asked no, that. Of no. the dominant. And when you ask that question, what you are saying to that person is um, you're, you're choosing something different. That's not true. You're not choosing something different. It's, it's who you are. So I always respond with how does, how does a uh, dandelion know it's yellow? Actually, Seth, I would, I would frame that in a different way, but you are choosing something different. You're choosing not to be constrained by other people's expectations of you, right? Which is, it, it's a way of reframing this choice. Like I'm choosing to live my truth as opposed to letting other people define for me what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, so if we can go back, you know, you talked about feel, uh, feelings of loss. Yeah. And I think Bill, she and I yeah. talked about yeah, this. Yeah, I would love to start with there. Yeah. Her oldest, you know, being non binary. And she's like, it's made me think about like, what if she does, or what if they see it's, I'm the pronouns. Uh -huh. yeah. I 100%, you know, like support them and everything. But it's like when I have 13 years of a certain thing 
And I'm like, okay, so they, them pronouns, they, them pronouns. And we actually started um, a, a non-binary a non jar, yeah. which is like a it's swear jar, mm -hmm. but for misgendering. So every time I we misgender them, we put a dollar in the jar. And um, then at the end of like every few months, they get to um, cho choose a charity of their choice donate. to donate the money to. That's a great idea. I wish I'd had that idea. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and so I'm like, my, I don't want to keep giving away this money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just makes, it was, it did two things. One, it made me, us, far, even like my husband, um, far more cognizant of it. Mm -hmm. And we would then catch ourselves, right? And then also it allowed, it, it showed them what, that we do care. We're pu literally putting our money where our mouth is. I care I want to get this right. I'm not just being flip. Yeah. So, uh, but I think Shail, she, you, you could talk about this, but uh, you went through this, like, okay, what if they decide that they planned at one point? And I will be sad yeah. that I lost the daughter that I thought, you know, that I had. Well, it's, it seems what's hard about it is that for people who realize that they are trans and move to their, you know, move to being, that person, they don't want to go back. They don't like to hear their their dead name. They don't like to see pictures of themselves when they're young. They don't like any reference to you know the before times. As an, as a parent, you feel like you've lost that with yeah, your kid. Yeah, it's 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 a little heartbreaking. Um, but you know, honestly, like I believe that there will come a point in time where, as an adult. Bio come home for a visit from her fabulous job in New York City or something like that. Or she'll fly you out on her job. Hell yeah, I like that much better. And we'll bring along some old, um, some old memory books, and we'll look through them. and uh, And I think, and I think we'll get to a point where she can be okay with that. But um, you know, it is a lot of letting go of the past, which which feels a lot like a loss, and that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. Mm -hmm. It is. There's something to the fact that the name that you had before you came out as transgender and made the switch is called a dead name. Yeah. That person is dead for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Well, but you're not dead, but you're here. The memories, the person you were, even if you were the same person, yeah. our family cannot refer to those anymore. Essentially, they're gone. You have to wipe them clean for a while. And that I think was Violet understanding of how sad that was for you and your wife. Yes. Yes, she was. I'm trying to remember how much of that we talked about as a family. I was, I didn't want her to feel in any way guilty or responsible for your feelings. Exactly. That is not, I, that is not okay. That, that would have been not okay with me. Um, so mm -hmm. we, I, I had been going to therapy for quite a spell before she told us. And, um, I had a session planned for that week. And so I called up my therapist and I said, can it be bring your wife to therapy day? Cause we need to chat and yeah. like, sure. So we went in and we both cried and we both shared how we were feeling and we realized that's how people feel. Um, and it's okay. And, and, uh, go ahead and, and feel that loss and mourn that loss while being excited about where you're moving. 
But I don't know that we wanted to share a whole lot of that feeling of loss with Violet. I'd be fine talking to her about it now, but at the time, you know, you're worried about your kid's mental health and you want to make sure that they're feeling good about what they just did, which is this huge monumental thing, um, owning your truth. And so, you know, I don't know that we talked about how we were feeling about it other than being supportive. Um, and maybe I should have done that differently. I hadn't really thought too much about that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know that it's, I don't know that it would have been any better or any worse, honestly, no, no, no. right? I think. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong to that. It's like you did what, the wrong thing to do would have been to like shove yeah. her back in the closet. <laughs> well, let's like, say there's a clear wrong, <laughs> but right. there are yeah. a few right answers. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances on the right side. And you chose one that felt right to you. It sounds like a lot of these emotions and reactions came pretty naturally to you and your wife. Instead of sitting there and, and getting into like analysis paralysis, I think, you know, you went with what felt really like guttural and, and you know, in your right. heart. So, yeah. I mean, was there any pushback is probably not the right word, but any off responses, let me put it that way, it's a broad category, from friends or family that were like, wouldn't question Violet directly, but would sort of ask you on the side? Yeah, that's a good question, because Vi like, we asked Vi, and she's like, oh no, everyone was like super awesome, and I'm close to my family, but um, did you have to like quell, where you're like, you will not say that to her? People wouldn't ask her directly, because they know it's kind of a hurtful question, but they wanted to ask it anyway. So they were asking you. Yeah, I think um, I did deal with a couple of questions from friends. Um, my, Vi went to the school where I teach. And so, um, you know, for her entire elementary school career. So they all know her, you know, the people I work with know her and, and they know her not as Violet. And, you know, she didn't transition while she was in elementary school. So it's more confusing to them because they haven't seen really who she's become. Um, and so, yeah, I got some of those, uh, you know, how does she know sort of questions um, that at the time made me feel bad and I couldn't really figure out why. And as time's gone on, I'm like, oh, well, now I know exactly why that made me feel crummy because really you should think about the question that you're asking because words matter. Yeah. But in terms of family, um, there were a few family members that Melissa and I were concerned about how they were going to take it. And they all took it very well. We, um, we went to a family reunion. Was it that very same summer? Yeah, it was. So um, this was only six weeks after she had transitioned. And um, I wrote an email to my, my five aunts and uncles, um, my, well, my four aunts and uncles and my mom, uh, they're the, the leaders of our family, right? And I asked them to pass it along to their kids. Um, and I just explained the situation. I said, when she comes, you can refer to her as Violet. You can refer to her as uh, the pronoun she, her. And um, if you make a mistake, that's totally fine. We all do. So don't worry about that, but we appreciate you making the effort to acknowledge the truth that she's living. And, um, you know, there are, are people in my family that I didn't know whether or not they would be at that family reunion um, who have different religious beliefs. And I just wanted them to hear that um, because uh, that, you know, obviously religion and LGBTQIA plus rights are, are often at odds. But we had no 
no pushback from anybody. No one's been negative about it. Nobody's been nasty about it. Um, the questions that have that I've talked about are things that are asked in an innocent way. You know, like people don't, they just haven't thought about what that question might feel like for the person they're asking it to. They're not trying to be hurtful. They're not trying to um, uh, unvalid, dis <laughs> invalidate. invalidate, thank you, invalidate um, <laughs> vice truth, but you know, they're trying to make sense of it. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I appreciate that, but no, I mean, even people that we thought would potentially be you know, not so cool have been really great. So I, I don't know how we got so lucky with that, but. Um, maybe this is what I was going to reference. There's a, a episode of a podcast called Hidden Brain, if you're oh, yeah. familiar with mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And they, one of the episodes was about the change in attitude, public attitude mm -hmm. around yeah. at least the lesbian and, and gay community and how, you know, 50 years ago, people were literally like, couldn't hold down jobs or being kicked out of apartments and being like beaten up and like, you know, thrown in jail and all kinds of things. And now 50 years later, it's like, there's still parts of the country and parts of the world where there's a lot of hate. It's such a huge shift. It's nothing in recent, in history, the attitudes, nothing has shifted that quickly. That quickly yeah. And they, they attributed a lot of that to the push for marriage equality, which they were, there were, that was a, a hot topic issue, right? Um, in the right, that was a great episode. Yeah, that was a yeah. great episode. I like that. Mm -hmm. It was, and I agree that, like, you know, because I, I think a lot of, especially gay men, were like, why would we align ourselves with these quote traditional values like marriage when that traditional institution is hating on us is like that's and that's so much of what we're doing what we're trying to do on this podcast is we are talking to people as human beings people who have been othered who have been pushed away by the hegemony and saying you know and there's so much research and this is what they said in that episode of the podcast was saying like once you get past the the letters or the color or you know whatever it is and you actually start talking about the person and you're like oh wait they want to get married i want to get married oh that person wants to go to the bathroom when they're on target without you know someone trying to check what their genitalia is <laughs> i want to do that too that kind of you know like i don't want someone to dictate where right. i can drink water from you know, when we see those values align, it's really, really yeah. hard to hate on people. Um, and so I think, you know, that marriage equality, it's not necessarily about wanting to get married, but it's about aligning yourself and saying like, hey, we just want the same thing. It was a good strategic move on their part to just talk was, about like, really I just want to marry the person I love, just like everyone else wants to marry the person exactly. they and when you start presenting that as look when when you're older and you're still married and you get sick and you're in the hospital do you want that person to be able to be in the room with you of course you do well guess what i can't you know obviously i'm not speaking about yeah. me but yeah. the people in the community were were not right. allowed to do those things a very short time ago but there's a right and a wrong side of history on this issue Places like North Carolina and Florida and Texas and Arkansas, you're on the wrong side. And it's going to change and it'll change on a national yeah. level at some point. So, you know, you're all you're doing is delaying the inevitable and, and making your side seem uh, more unreasonable. And, and uh, you know, I, I think you could look at that for all um, marginalized communities, you know, at one point in time. 
all these communities have had to step up and fight, you know, show that there's a right and a wrong and that the other way is wrong and we'll get there. And we've come so a long way very fast. Yeah. That's nice. So let's talk a little bit about your fight for right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Which I think like this, this should be national fucking. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's like really, really quiet. Because Shayla, she was part, she went. Yeah, she so I, I know so Kaiser's she knows system. The Kaiser system very well. Kaiser's awesome. I had an eating disorder at one point and they're like, are you going to kill yourself? And I was like, no. They're like, we can't help you. Like that is, that is the level of their ability. They do. I was also just singing their praises about drive-through flu, flu injection clinics where I was like, it's the easiest thing in the world yeah. to get your preventative health care. Unlike here in Illinois, where I'm like, I got to make an appointment. Can I just go and get it? Right? Like, why can't I just do that here? But for specific services. Shale, she has uh, PCOS. It has something to do with insulin resistance. You can, you, you have a diabetic daughter, so you know what metformin is and metformin is off label has shown to help insulin resistance and people with PCOS with like leaps and bounds. And I was, and I worked in diabetes at the time. I was like, so you need to get metformin. She asked and asked and asked and her doctors are like, nope, sorry. So if we can, I just, you know, I know a lot of stuff through Megan, your sister, who and is certainly our listeners know very, very little. Dale, she knows because of me, and we know a little bit because of Violet, but if you can go and just tell your story about- Seth versus Kaiser. To start off with though, I do want to say, I being diabetic since I was 12, I have worked with countless insurance companies, countless doctors, um, endocrinologists, all kinds of stuff. I, I have always felt like Kaiser is a very good company um, in, in the scope of- of an extraordinarily flawed healthcare system. And I was really glad when um, Kaiser came into Colorado and our school moved to Kaiser being the insurance because I appreciate a lot of things about Kaiser. I wanted that as a framework because, um, you know, several months ago, uh, Vi let us know that she was ready to start moving forward with the idea of breast augmentation as a means to treat her gender dysphoria. And this is a common procedure that people would want to go through. She's now been on hormones for 18, 20 months, something like that. She's at that point where you're getting close to the edge of the changes that you can expect to see from hormones. And at that time, it becomes appropriate to consider um, from a medical standpoint. And again, let's lead with the science, right? From a medical standpoint, not an opinion standpoint, this becomes the time where it's reasonable to start looking at options. As a parent, would I rather my child have this take place while she's in a safe, protected uh, environment where she's going to get care from everyone in her life? Absolutely. So I'd like for that to happen while she's still living at home with us. And who knows, she might be living at home for 10 more years or something. But, you know, so when when she first told us, um, we approached Kaiser, asked about them covering that procedure, and uh, we were denied. They, at the time, they allowed for uh, female to male transgender top surgery, but not male to female. Um, so Seth, could you just be clear, mm-hmm. what exactly would that procedure entail? Yeah, so the procedure that Vi would get would be just uh, breast implants, right? So, um, and it's not that easy, of course, because there's right. tissue that has to be stretched and all sorts of different ways of doing that. But that's that's the, the male to female type of transition. The female to male transition is taking tissue out so that instead of 
having breasts, you have a more typical um, male look to your upper chest area. Uh, so you would say it's like an extreme breast reduction. Yes. Or mastectomy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're doing a total mastectomy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, uh, you can see um, Elliot Page is a good example of someone who went through that and is feeling comfortable with himself for the first time, right? And it's a big deal for overcoming gender dysphoria. Uh, both of those procedures are top surgeries for people that are, are having the exact same diagnosis. That diagnosis is gender dysphoria. So when I found out that, for, when we first got told no, I was like, well, I kind of expected that, no big deal. We'll go ahead and find our own surgeon. We'll pay for it out of pocket. But in a follow-up conversation with the transgender care team um, down in Denver, we found out that they covered um, male to female, uh, I'm sorry, female to male, but not male to female, and I lost my shit because that's discrimination. That is gender discrimination. There's no place for that in insurance or in healthcare. And um, so I, I lost it on the phone and then I got off the phone. I immediately filed a, an appeal. Um, and then I started doing my research um, and I found out you know, some of the, the laws behind that protect uh, people uh, from insurance denying certain services. And it was clear that Kaiser was in violation of several of the laws that are out there to protect people from, uh, from these sorts of practices. So um, I wrote a letter to the transgender care team and to Kaiser in general, outlining what our stance was and making it very clear that we would not be backing down from this no matter what, they got back to us uh, within a matter of a couple of weeks telling us that they had changed their policy and were now allowing um, all people with gender dysphoria to move forward with their, um, their top surgery procedures, which is uh, just a real wonderful feeling. Um, now, it, we, we also have, have found out though that they're only doing that for 18 and over. So that's the next fight. Um, <laughs> Always a fight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's be clear that what happened with your family and what, what you did was not get an exception for your daughter. You actually right. changed, you helped change the entire policy. People next week who don't have to take that fight or don't have to spend $20,000 out of pocket have Seth Turner to thank for that. Well, I, th I, I would like to defray most of that thanks to Kaiser, because when a, when a good company is faced with their bad policies, they have a choice. They can stand by it and double down, or they can change them. And they were faced with this, and they mm -hmm. changed it. And maybe a small part of that was me standing up and saying, this is bullshit. Pointing it out, right? Like you pointed it out, their bad policy. Exactly. And I said, hey, you got to stare this in the face. And when they did, they immediately changed course. So to me, that makes me feel like, hey, this is a good organization. They faced their bad choice. They made a different one. I'm thrilled with that. I'm thrilled to have been a small part of that. Um, and I, I'm... I'm beyond thrilled that nobody's going to have to deal with that who's over 18, you know, because the barriers to care can be um, as debilitating both psychologically and physically to the trans community as, you know, acceptance in their, their social groups and their family groups. I also do love that in Denver, they have a transgender care team. That's, that's yeah. just, just the fact, again, when you put a name to something, you put an importance to it. 
Um, and I just realized right after we had the conversation with Vi that I, I referenced um, Harry Potter a couple of times and then after, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No. See, here's the thing. Um, we love Harry Potter. We have loved Harry Potter forever. Um, I love Harry Potter and I hate J.K. Rowling. So, and I'm allowed. It is, you know, so often we talk about the artist and the art as if they're the same thing. Yeah, and they don't have to be. They're not. It's the same. I mean, like for some people, the art and the artists are yeah. in, like they just, you cannot separate them. But for some people, separating the art, it's totally possible. Look, a lot of people worked on those Harry Potter movies. One person, the person who is the writer of that series is a TERF. Can you explain what TERF is for people who didn't know? TERF is trans-exclusionary radical feminist, meaning like basically trans women are not women. The stupidest garbage I ever heard of. Anyway. It's stupid garbage, yes. <laughs> but so many people worked on those movies and publish those books and things like that like to cut off that art and to not engage in the art is actually denying yourself pleasure and also denying other people the pleasure of their work being seen yeah and i i think another another way that we've chosen to look at it too is that um when an artist puts their work out into the world, it becomes the property of everyone who enjoys it, right? And I, I got that from the Grateful Dead. They used to say that years ago, that um, once, they, uh, once they put a show out there, they didn't care if somebody taped it and shared it with somebody else, even though that, that technically infringes on their rights to own their own music. They felt like once we put it out there, if somebody wants to record it and share it with someone, well, that makes us feel great because we put it out there. It becomes yours when we give it to you and you can do with it what you will. And that has helped me to be okay with still loving Harry Potter because I don't want to give that up. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, so I, I see two different things is one, there are a whole lot of scientists who are very problematic, right? Like I'm a scientist. I went, I have two master's degrees. Einstein married his cousin, cheated on her. Like there's, a, but I'm still like, I'm you know, the theory of relativity is I, no one's giving that up. No one's like Einstein was a horrible person. So uh, I don't believe in physics or whatever. Like, you're not going to do that. And then um, <laughs> the other thing is, it, I mean, this is an extreme example, but when Shailish and I were kids, the Cosby show was huge in our house. Oh, yeah. Like, uh -huh. and it was revolutionary, right? To, to show an African-American family that was loving, that was together, that made money, that the people- Well, everyone was highly educated. Every, right. They like, lived in like a nice part of Brooklyn or whatever. And it's like all of that stuff. Now, now Bill Cosby is a horrible human being, but that doesn't mean he wasn't groundbreaking in yeah. his way. So having to, you know, that's a very extreme example, but- I just, I was like, I was talking about Harry Potter a couple of times. And then afterwards I was like, it just was not very, I should have like at least acknowledged or been like, is that okay? Because, um, because I said, cause we were talking about her makeup skills. And I was like, um, yeah. I was like, oh, you gotta do a Harry Potter series. I was actually gonna ask you about, you know, how your view of like someone like JK Rowling changed. I sometimes I'm like, you know, when people go like dribble your basketball, don't get into politics. Right, like I, that bothers me because I'm like, we're all people. We talk on our soapbox about anything, but I do want to say like, J.K. Rowling, shut up. This is not your milieu. You don't have a, you don't have a place to stand. You know, I'm like, I don't like what she, is it just because I don't like what she says? So I want her to shut up. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, um, 
you know, I, I felt betrayed, which is really weird because it, normally you have to have a personal relationship with someone to feel an emotion as strong as betrayal. But when you spend as much time immersing your family into the experience that she helped to create, um, and then you hear the really callous way in which she dismissed the trans community and, um, and their womanhood, it was hurtful and I was hurt. And then the double down, triple down, quadruple down. She would not just go like, I'm sorry that I hurt people. She just kept going. I know. And she released that whole piece about how, you know, they're, you know, using a bathroom is dangerous. And I'm just like, oh my Lord, you've got to be kidding me. Cause I never, never would have expected that to come from her. And it hurts more when it comes from her than when it comes from Donald Trump. Um, you expect a dumbass like Donald Trump to say something like that. You don't expect someone like J.K. Rowling to say that. So um, at the time, Vi and I were shooting a little YouTube show that we called Dad and I, because she was doing makeup looks and we were just talking about trans issues and what it's like to be a father and a daughter moving through the transition and stuff. And we don't, we don't shoot that little show anymore. But at the time we shot a show where we only addressed that. It was a nine minute, super short little thing. And, um, and I even said that, I was like, it really hurts, you know, that someone like you would say this because we expect other people to say it, but you know, we thought you had our back and the stories that you produced, that's not indicative of what you are espousing right now. Right. Right. And uh, the whole, the whole mudblood storyline, it's like, how can you, write that and believe that and not believe the same thing we believe about trans women so when they put on the cursed child at in london and hermione was cast as like a black actress was cast as hermione i should say and people don't oh, know hermione is a white person blah 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 and she she has come out in like defense of so many of these groups where she's like no actually there's no there's nothing in the books that says anything about Hermione being white she's like I love having a black Hermione and blah 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 and I was like and the whole Dumbledore is gay thing you know? yes it's like, exactly yes how do you miss the mark on this one <laughs> how just this one this one thing is so like you're like absolutely not like it doesn't make any sense it doesn't I'm like it almost doesn't fall in line with the rest of it's off but <laughs> yeah it's off brand for her yeah. <laughs> yes. why why turfs are turfy like why are they trans exclusionary in fact one of the challenges of being a woman and fighting back against the patriarchy and sexist systems is that women's voices are often ignored or just sort of dismissed to begin with right um so no matter how many women stand, I mean, how long does it take for uh, sexual assault and sexual misbehavior to be taken seriously in workplace settings? You know, it literally took a global Me Too movement for people to even start recognizing that this is actually a thing. And some, sometimes men act inappropriately toward women in the workplace, right? The way I think about it is who is going to understand the difference between what it's like to be a woman and what it's like to be a man more than trans women because they have been on the other side of the equation. They have experienced male privilege, whether as boys or whether as men. And now they're saying, uh-uh, no, I, this isn't me. And they're actually stepping over on the side of the line that has less privilege and more danger 
we should be centering their voices around what sexism looks like because they know both sides. I don't know what it's like to be a man. I don't know what it's like to be white, right? But trans women- I heard it's really, it's- I heard they have it sweet though. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. I've heard, no, just- I've heard really good things <laughs> about how well they have it. <laughs> exactly, and you know, you have to acknowledge that and you've got to be willing to say like, hey, I grew up in this system and you know, I am, I am, I check every box. I'm male, I'm white, I'm cisgender, I am heterosexual, I grew up in middle America. Like you want boxes checked, I'll check them. But I don't feel like I fit in that. But I also don't fit in these other categories either, right? So it can sometimes be hard. Uh, and boy, I don't, I don't want to make this about how it's so hard for the allies, but it can be hard for allies um, sometimes to, to know um, where they fit in everything because I don't want to step on anybody's toes or make anybody uncomfortable, but I want to be part of the community too, right? Because I care about it. And, and so, you know, it's, it's weird, but yeah. One thing that Kosha and I have talked about, um, particularly around, around gender expectation, not about people who are on this, the gender spectrum, um, but more about when people, whatever gender they identify as, they move outside of the cultural expectations about what it's like to be, what you're supposed to do, right? And one of the things that we've noticed, and I'm assuming since you're a K-1 teacher, you've felt some of this too, is that the box for being a man is about this big, right? You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that. And our husbands and our sister's husband, our brother, and I've known elementary school teachers who are men, which is also one of those things like, that's weird, right? Um, it's, it's very unusual. Certainly there's not very many elementary school teachers who are men um, compared to women, um, but you get, you get othered in a different way, which is you're acting outside the expectations of what you as a cisgender blah, blah are supposed to be doing. Yeah. If you're, if you're really a man, you act like this. You're not a kindergarten teacher. You're not sensitive. You're not, you know, you're like, you have to act in a certain way. The part of this podcast is also to recognize, look, you might fit in every box of privilege and you can still be othered for some, something, because nobody is actually the male, female archetype. There's nobody that's like, I'm a hundred percent what I'm supposed to be as a guy or a girl. It's just not a thing. Um, and it's just a matter of how real you can be about living that truth, right? Like you can leave the house and blend in, but you're othered within the home. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to be othered. And, you know, I definitely understand what you mean is, you know, you check all those boxes, but you're almost fighting against them. And people are like, but you check all the boxes. Come on in. You know, the water is fine. And you're like, I don't want to be in that pool. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I definitely, um, I appreciate people like Todrick Hall. His new album is called Femulin. And uh, he's someone who em- embraces his masculinity. He lifts weights every day. He's a buff guy. He looks great. And it's okay for a guy to say another guy looks great, by the way, and still be heterosexual. It, well, um, but, uh, but well he, girls do all the time right like oh girl looks fierce and why can't i why is that weird you know i just 
That's what I'm saying. So, but he, but he also can wear a dress and stomp a runway and um, slay like nobody's business on his music videos. So, you know, I appreciate having some examples like that. Um, I just wish that there was a community that I felt like I could be a part of with that because it it's hard. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't feel like you belong in the boxes that you check. It's hard for me to be friends with men, if I'm being quite honest. Like, that's a challenge because, yeah. you know, I, I feel like men like to focus on the three Bs, right? Um, beers, balls, and boobs. And, um, and you know, my conversations don't typically sound. I can, I can communicate. I love soccer. I can talk to anybody about world soccer. No problem. Um, I can fit in. I can pass, as they would say, right? but I'm not myself when I'm doing all of that. I'm not my- You're not living your truth when you're, when you're fitting in. Mm -hmm. We've always embraced a tomboy, uh, which is also a weird term, but let's say we've also embraced girls who've had more boyish interests, riding bikes or getting dirty or whatever, playing in the mud and athletic, things like that. That's always been okay, but we have, generally refuse to let boys lean into their more traditional feminine interests, which is, it's about sexism at its core. Oh yeah, that's just a beautiful illustration of sexism, right? Because it's saying that, oh, well, if you're in the lesser sex and you wanna act like the greater sex, then that's totally normal. But if you're in the greater sex and you wanna act lesser, what is wrong with you? Why would you ever want to do that? You've got all these, yeah, anyway. Well, look at like, even they make movies about it. Like look at like Billy Elliot, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you made an entire movie about a little boy who wanted to, to dance. dance. Wants to dance. Have you, it's so weird. If you've seen any of those YouTube videos about uh, ballet dancers or like people like dancers doing like everyday things as like, in like doing with ballet moves. I haven't seen it. Oh, they're so amazing. I'll have to find them. There's some of them where you're like, this uh, this person has such intense body control. Every muscle in their body mm -hmm. is so wrong. Oh, yeah. Like a football player couldn't possibly no do this, right? Like, mm -hmm. can, I can't, can you walk on point across like a, like a highway? No, I have to find this. I'll put it in the, I'll put it in the link here. It's so awesome to watch. So I, you know, we asked this, uh, and in this season, I think what we're doing is, you know, talking to people who have kind of are working through or have transcended this idea of like, you know, this sexuality and gender spectra. And we're asking for advice from people. And, and it's not, you're not an expert. You don't, you know, everyone's like, well, I'm not an expert. We know, we know you're telling your personal story. First of all, no one's going to beat Violet's advice. I know somebody whose uh, niece asked for a binder. They're 14. You get nervous, like, okay, what does this mean for her future? And it, is she going to come out as, you know, trans or whatever? Are they going to come out as trans? And you get a lot of like, well, sh they're only 14. So what if it's a phase? It might just be a phase, 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 phase. The word phase comes out a lot. And something that Shayla and I have talked about is, well, it's, it might be a phase. Let's say it is, but that doesn't mean they don't have to go through it, right? Like you being a brand new teacher, me being a new mom or, you know, like newly married, like it's a phase, you go through it mm -hmm. and then going through it teaches you other things. Mm -hmm if it is a phase, forcing them to not go through the phase 
doesn't make them not go through it, but it makes them do it in silence and secrecy, misery, depression, and risk. You're lucky. If you're lucky, that's what happens. Because the other side to that is your relationship with them ends because they're not around anymore. Or that you you shove them you you shove them into a depression, and we know that the LGBTQ plus community has um, has a way higher risk of like suicide. Yeah. So we've asked everybody, and we will is like, what advice would you give to parents who want to just call it a phase? And Violet just goes, well, you know, just let your kids experiment, and then she stopped talking, and we we're like, oh, that's very <laughs> simple and very smart. But from a parent's, ex- you know, ex- experience and perspective, what would you tell? Because you've been through mm-hmm. the entire emotional gamut here. What would you tell parents? No, I, I think, you know, I, I think this is just in general. I, I think no matter what the situation is, but in this situation is a, a prime example of it. Your kid comes to you and says, hey, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm, you know, whatever, and what, whatever they are, you know, listen to them and trust what they're saying. Don't question them to find out if they're right. You're, you don't need to do that. That's not your job as a parent to find out if your kid's right. Your job as a parent is to help your kid to find out what their right is, right? It's mm-hmm. your job is to give them what they need to figure it out it's not to figure it out for them. Um, you know, I, I, that is a huge issue that I work on in therapy because I want to solve every problem. I come from a long line of family members who want to solve every problem that everybody has. And I've gotten a lot better at that. But, uh, but at first it was like, okay, let's dive right in. You know, like I told you, that's my personality dive right in. Let's tackle this head on. But, you know, sometimes you just need to, to say, okay, Hey, why don't we, you know, for Vi, it was, you want to go shopping? Do you want to pick out some new clothes? Um, when are you thinking about wanting to tell other people? Have you told any other people? What else can do you need to, to live who you really are? Um, and then ask your, tell your, tell your kids that you love them. I mean, no matter what, tell them that you love them and, um, and that you will always love them. And that uh, you, you need to think to yourself, parents, about what you really want to have happen later in your life. Because if you alienate your kids now, they might be very forgiving and they might be willing to come back into your life when you realize the mistake you've made, but you will have lost that time. And the thought of that is what gets me choked up and emotional because you don't know how much time you got, right? And if you are willing to give years away or months away or weeks away or days away, then, um, then you're selling your time short with the people in your life that are by far the most important. So ask yourself that question. What is this going to feel like down the road for you as, you as you don't accept your kid? Or what would it feel like if you did? What will you be there yeah. for? What will you get to see? Yeah. And blow up that picture in your head and be okay with it. Blow up the picture in your head. Just blow it the hell up. Yeah, when, when my older one came out to us as non-binary, I mean, there were two things that, and Coach just heard me say this, like, I literally, and I don't mean this in the worst way, I told, you know, the, I told that kid, like, I literally could not give a shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about your gender identity. That's super, super important to you. 
I support you 100% wherever your journey takes you. I literally don't give a shit. What I care about is, are you doing your homework, (laughs) cleaning up your room? You know, like the day-to-day stuff of, of being a parent, the gender stuff is like right here for you. It's like in your throat and in your face all the time for you. For me, I'm trying to do the work of parenting, which is, could you get up on time to get on the bus? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Could you put your stuff away? How many times do we have to ask you to bring your glasses downstairs? <laughs> All of the dishes are in your room. You know, it's stuff like that where it's like the daily stuff. And stuff like, uh, are you being kind? Yeah, I was going to say the second thing about it is I'm trying to raise a human being. I'm not trying to raise a girl yep. or a boy, yep. right? So there's going to be a point when you're going to have to manage your life yourself. I'm not going to manage your life when you're 30 years old, right? You got to do this yourself. How are you a good human being? And wherever your journey takes you, take those values with you, right? So how are you kind? Are you, do you, can you listen to people? Can you apologize to people? Um, Can you stand up for yourself? Can you stand up for others? There's so many more valuable things about being a parent to a child than either suppressing their truth so it fits in with your truth or your vision of the truth right what you want to happen mm-hmm. or solving their issues for them I think you're absolutely right which is I'm 100% like that my family calls me the finder because if I am just like someone's like oh I think I might look for a new yeah. apartment soon I'd be like here's like 50 apartments they're like whoa whoa that's this guy that's this guy yeah. right here. or if you say if you say one thing like I'm just not like thrilled with my job right mm-hmm. now then suddenly emails blowing up with like indeed.com, you know, like LinkedIn, here's the 20 options. Can I help you? Can I fix this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I bet, uh, Shay Lucy, I bet, are you a great gift giver though? Because the initial thing that someone tells you is, oh, this would be a really nice thing. And because you're so trained to be hearing that, you go, oh, and you type it in your phone real quick when no one's looking. Yeah, you just always looking to solve someone's issues for them right i'm just like if i can do something to make your life easier or better let me do that there's enough crap going on that i can't solve right my kids got some issue with their teacher i can't solve that for you Mm -hmm. maybe you know having an issue with her boss i can't solve that for you either but what i can do is give you resources for things i can help you with so i get very in the so if it's like even if it's something like my husband's super into like biking and cycles right now. So I'm like, oh, you said you wanted this one thing once. Let me see if I can find it. Cause it will make your life, you'll enjoy your life more. I'm not solving a problem, yeah. but can I do that for you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I think, I think your advice is so it's spot on. I mean, obviously, but it's like, I think so much of parenting is realizing that you have to let your kids fail or what in your brain, what is failure, right? Like, so, so let's say um, like this person who wants to wear a binder and at one point, oh, it is a phase. I don't, I actually don't feel like non-binary. I am a girl. You take the binder off. Mm-hmm. You know, Vi mentioned like you, uh, she got into makeup really to express a lot of that like feminine. She's like, so then you just take the makeup off. You don't, a very little of especially those beginning stages and that's kind of what we were talking about is no kid is going to come to their parents and go like gender realignment surgery now like 
there's a yeah. lot of steps and even if they do come to you that way they haven't been thinking like they've been thinking in reversible terms up until that point so it's like you have to you just have to meet them where they are and I you know the other point I wanted to bring up was you said like you know if they forgive you later that's great on them but it's also not their fucking responsibility Mm -hmm. they don't have to think about how much you're putting on a 16 year old to forgive their parents for excluding them and othering them and kicking them out of the house sometimes and the place that should be safest is the is the least safe right the place that should be full of the most acceptance has the least acceptance and that's why you hear the term found family so often in the lgbtqia community right is that they've had to find a family because their their family that they were born into well and i think about like the in those pride marches like the pride parades and stuff where you have the parents who are like i'll hug you yes. i'll be your free mom hug. today i'll yeah. hug you mm-hmm. i'll accept you free hug and i'm like that's so lovely but it's also like the fact that that have to be there people have to do and that you see tears it's not like a shtick it's like it means so much to them is is just i mean it that tells you everything i think those i mean they start off as kids Beth, as you were speaking one poem came to my mind i'm sure you're both are familiar with khalil gibran i'm sorry but i'm not i don't Oh my gosh. So he has, he's done a whole bunch of poems, but he has a poem called On Children. And I feel like it's a really good way maybe to end this. So I will read it to you all. On Children, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrows that flies, he also loves the bow that is stable. And that's always struck with me to be like, my kids aren't my kids. They don't belong to me. I don't own them. They are their own self. And they have to move forward in a way that makes sense for them. Can I raise them to be kind, loving, thoughtful citizens of the world? That's my job. Mm-hmm. But not to tell them what to think or who to be. Mm-hmm. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, hearing a parent that's, even though it's been a challenge and a struggle at moments where you're just wrestling with your own emotional reactions to things. You and your wife have so gracefully supported Violet, your daughter, through any number of challenges and transitions that could easily have set someone off the path, right? And for people who want to help and solve problems, it's so hard to not have control over something and to to let the person that you care about struggle with their own place in the world. Yeah. And I can imagine how hard it was 
when she came out to you both times was, oh my God, this, your life is going to be hard, mm-hmm. right? Like all you want to do is make, even as, as an accepting, loving, wonderful parent, you're like, I just want your life to go well. Like, it, and for you to challenge yourself, but not for the world to constantly challenge you. And so I can imagine where you're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. It's going to be harder, you know? But um, I will say that when we interviewed Violet, we were talking and we were like, we had two hours set. And then we're like, well, how was that with your parents? And she's like, oh, they were great. How's that with your family? Oh, they were awesome. How about your school? Oh, they're, they're, they're very huge LGBT community. They're really accepting. And so we were like, you want to talk about where, where you're going to do makeup? Like I, you know, so I will say that we're saying like, imagine Violet's life if she didn't have you and Melissa as her support. If she didn't have what she had, imagine what her life would be and, and how robbed the world would be of this incredible person with this incredible, and, and like her makeup skills. I mean, she's literally going to be flying us all over <laughs> the world with, and I'm going to be like, I knew her yeah, when, yeah. but of this incredible human outside of what she's able to do with her art, just how incredible she is with, you know, just as a person, as a human being. And it's aspirational. Your family, what you and Melissa have done with Violet as this core support system for her is aspirational. And and it's the flip side of what Shayla, she said, she's the optimist. So she's like, imagine what the world could be if everyone was a Violet. And everyone could had the support system. And I'm the pessimist where I'm like, God, imagine what her life would be if her parents weren't her parents, you know? And so um, it's incredible. It's incredible the person that you're raising and how you have approached parenting her. Oh, we're the, we're the lucky one. We, it should be normal. We should not be wowed by what you are doing. Just like yeah. people aren't wowed by asking someone to like, you know, asking their kid to bring their dishes downstairs. This should, this should be everyday parenting. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not wowed by it. And to me, it just seems like this is how you do it. Like, I don't think, oh, what would be the worst way to do this and then do the opposite, right? It's just like, what would be, how can I do this if it's with me and if it's with Vi and fits with what's best for her. And, you know, you, you gotta look at yourself as a parent, as a gardener and not a carpenter. Um, carpenters have a blueprint that they follow and they, they make something that looks exactly like the blueprint because that's what they do and they do it amazingly well and it's gorgeous. Right. But a gardener can put in all the work and, uh, and plant the seeds and water the seeds and get the right amount of sun. And then a hailstorm can come along and change the plant. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, that you failed. It doesn't mean that as a, as a gardener that you didn't do everything you could do and and you hope that your your little plants your little kids grow up to be big beautiful sunflowers in the end or like a squirrel comes in or a bird comes in and drops other seeds and your your garden actually looks a little bit different mm-hmm. than what you sowed yeah yeah okay so last thing we always end on mm-hmm. is um in linguistics in psychology and linguistics there's a word called femelect your varietals of like words and things that you use in your family 
that like no one else would know. Just curious, like even in, not in, not with the three of you, but like with your sister or with your parents, like are there any words or phrases or things that you do that make sense in your family that don't make sense outside of your family? Oh, there's so much that would not make sense to people outside. But you know, one of the things that we do a lot is voices. We do voices a lot. And um, you can get into a different character and be a different person for a little while. Our dog talks pretty much all day long in a dialect. And so that's pretty fun. Um, I love inner monologues oh, of, yeah. of pets. My, my husband does that all the time. And I laugh so oh, hard. Yeah. It's so good. It's fun. Vi told us that you do this, like these like very dramatic characters and that your mom will like, or her mom will like, roll her eyes. She won't like necessarily do it, but you'll do it to her. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then she, Melissa will be like, oh, here we go. Here they go. Yeah. We do, the, we do the ladies. That's what we've ended up calling it. Yeah. Nice. Are they very, they're very dramatic. They're very dramatic. So? And they always say the word lady at the end. So as you say, as you're talking to each other, you say blah, 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 lady. And then blah, 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 lady. Uh. <laughs> but it's in this ridiculous voice and uh, it's really fun. And, um, and so, yeah, I think there are a lot of little things like that that we do that are just silly and ridiculous and help to make a, a mundane time a little bit better. We did not have a lot of this, the family struggles that a lot of families did during the COVID time. And I think it's because of fun stuff like that. So we have our own struggles, don't get me wrong. But. I don't know, either we're doing like a way better job with our generation of children or they just are like- Or they're just way better. They're just way better. Well, they're just like, well, I'm not even going to bother because you're not going to get this or whatever. Yeah. And they've got so many so. more um, uh, people influencing who they're becoming at a younger age than we did. Right. Mm, that's mm -hmm. a good point. Vast number more. And people that are, especially once you get in the teenage years, when parents lose their onus as the, the biggest uh, uh, influence in kids' lives, um, you know, now those influences can come from uh, they can come from China, they can come from India, they can come from you know, uh, England, they can come from anywhere. And uh, it, it's, it's a whole different world, right? <laughs> well, and uh, I will have to say that Violet's going to be one of those influencers. So she's going to influence people. And the way you are making her a kind, amazing human is, is very lovely. And I yeah. think, I really hope that parents listen to this and I really hope that parents who are struggling with their children's transitions to listen to this and listen to your advice because I think it, it was spot on. Once we let go of the expectations of what we wanted as parents and what we want for our children, the world gets easier for us and better for them. That's a perfect way to say it. I wish that the audience who really needs to hear this kind of stuff could hear it um, because I think it would be really important. Uh, and if, if there's ever anybody that you guys come into contact with who needs to chat with a parent who's gone through it, um, we've now had a couple years to process and great therapists to help us and wonderful family to support us. And, you know, if you need, if you need to chat. That's such a kind, I would say it's such a kind offer. Um, you know, we never know who's going to listen and who's going to hear this. And so long time ago when I was in college, so even before I met Megan, uh, the uh, Matthew Shepard's mom came to speak on, on my campus. And I was actually doing, I was, I was the organizer. So I got to talk to her 
And she said, she's like, you know, I, I, she struggles going around talking to people sometimes because she's like, the people who come see me, I'm preaching to the Mm -hmm. choir. And she had said that to her husband once. And she's like, I just, I keep doing these and everyone's there because they believe in our cause and they, they've heard the story and they are our allies, right? They were, they were Matthew's allies. And her husband said to her, well, Judy, even the, even the choir needs to rehearse, even the choir needs to practice. Yes. The people who are listening to this podcast probably align with what we are putting out there. I have learned I'm an ally. And I have learned so much from you about how to be a better ally in the past hour and a half. So, you know, even the, even the choir needs to practice. Thanks. I appreciate that a lot. It has been a joy to talk to you. So it's not that Vi's lucky to have us. It's that we're lucky to have her. We're all, let's just be honest. We're all lucky to have each other. And, um, and so, you know, it's just, uh, it's a real treat because you, how often do you get to see beauty? Um, when you're stuck inside. And over the last 18 months, we've been stuck inside so much. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful release. So really cool. Well, you guys are awesome. We can't ha- wait to have you back on. Cool. If we ever do a video podcast, we're hiring Vi to be our makeup artist. Love it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we. it was been a pleasure. Thank you so yeah, much. It's wonderful thank you. to chat with you guys. I said, thank take you. Care. Bye, take care. Bye.